what's up everyone welcome to mix in america episode 14 i have with me a good friend of mine kanisha she is my wife's best friend well i should say one of her best friends in case Kara listens to this, she would be upset <laughs> if I said that Kanisha was her best friend because they're they're both equally her best friends. Uh, I think that's accurate. So Kanisha, hi. first of all, say hi. Hello. Welcome to the podcast. <laughs> um, we've had probably more conversations recently. Um, well, I think all of us have. Everybody, yeah. especially in Minnesota, has had a lot more conversations about race um, since the death of George Floyd. And then uh, you're on a diversity committee with me, mm-hmm. which is a whole lot of fun. Um, but first of all, Kanisha, say hi to the people, all of the many <laughs> listeners that we have, and then t- talk a little bit about your story, your unique story of growing up, uh, not far from here, but in Stillwater, no, yeah. um, being black, kind of what that, your experience has been like. Um, um well, hi, <laughs> I'm Kanisha, in case you didn't know. No. Um, yeah, I grew up in Stillwater, Minnesota, um, it's a, I mean, it's, be- it's like the historic town of Minnesota, but... I definitely grew up of as like one and one of two, I think, black kids in that area or black family. So my life certainly has been a little different, I think, than I wouldn't say most, but it's definitely been different. It's not like you're from the inner city, right? No. I, like, I think people, I actually talked about this with in Thomas Maplewood. in the last <laughs> one, where people assume that it, like, yeah. Urban is a word that people like almost interchange with black. And they yeah. do like, they think that's a more politically correct way to say black is mm-hmm. to say urban. But that's, no. no, that's saying that all black people are from the inner city. And yeah. That's way worse, in my opinion. So you're not from the inner city. No, definitely um, not. But that also, like, and one of the things, again, talked about with Thomas in the last one is we all have different experiences, right? Mm-hmm. Like, there's not a, a black experience. Right? right. Yeah. What was your experience? What was you you know, did yeah. you, Thomas talked about people uh, not saying he was black enough yeah, because he, he sure. was from a, a nicer yeah. suburban area and he had a white dad. Did you have similar experiences like that yeah. growing up? Um, I totally did. I remember I first went to elementary school in Lake Elmo and I, it was myself and a boy named Rashad. I moved back to Stillwater when I was in sixth grade. And I remember the difference between Stillwater and Lake Elmo was I grew up with all of the kids in my neighborhood. So we knew each other. But once I moved to Stillwater, I was like a fish out of water. So one particular story I remember I was in sixth grade and I just moved to a new school and we had to pair off into groups for a science project. And I had two boys tell me I couldn't be in their group because I was different. Now, at the time, I just assumed, like, oh, well, because I just moved here, obviously I'm yeah. different. But I remember we had a meet with the principal, <laughs> which is embarrassing. But <laughs> it wasn't until then that I realized this is really different than how the other, like, 12 years of my life have been, where it wasn't ever a conversation of, oh, I'm black, but all of my friends are white. Now it's clearly I'm black. Yeah. And everybody else is white. Because you were an outsider. Because I was an outsider. In. Yeah. Yeah. And they, same thing. I mean, the kids at the new elementary school, they all grew up together. And I, I was the only black kid in the whole school. So that was one experience. But through that, I remember hearing, similar to Thomas, and probably yourself, of like, you're not black enough. Yeah. Or you're not really black, so it doesn't count. Or you're more of like an Oreo. You're the whitest black person I've ever met. And those things never affected me, I think, until recently. Because then you start to hear, I'm not only discredited as a human being, but I've suddenly been discredited as a black female. Yeah. 
Can you, and maybe this is a little too deep of a, a question to get into or too deep of an answer, but like, I, I don't think white people understand why that's offensive or like yeah. why you shouldn't say that in your opinion, not that you have the answers or speak for all black people everywhere, but why is that? So you talk about discrediting you as mm-hmm. a black person. Why is the term Oreo or, or saying, yeah, you're really white for a black girl. Yeah. Why, why is that? wrong why shouldn't they say that the way i guess what would you say yeah i think that's a good question um for me when i hear that i hear okay so i'm obvious i'm not enough to be considered black i'm not enough to be considered white my mom's biracial i don't i must not fit in so then where do i fit in but also you're telling me when i hear you're not black enough that every person that is considered quote-unquote black enough is wrong they're bad they're ghetto they're urban they're what you see on the movies so all of a sudden i'm better than them because i act differently or i'm from a different area so not only have you insulted me as an individual but you've insulted everybody else that you've just isolated into this category as black yeah yeah what they're what they're i'm just gonna hear what you're saying is when they say that if they say you're not black enough they're saying that this is what they think a black person is. Right. And you're you're not like that. But it's not like an insult. Like, it's almost a compliment. Yeah, it's a backhanded compliment. Yeah. Like, you don't like, live up to the stereotype. So so because of that, yeah. you're not really black. Yeah. Last I, time I checked, I was. Yeah. So what are you saying? Yeah. Like, what is, which is a whole nother long comment. What, what does blackness mean? What does yeah. it mean to be black? Um, but another thing that I hear with you talking in this is that identity is a real thing. Mm-hmm. Like identity struggles is a real thing. I think everybody does. Um, I've talked about on, on here what it's like being mixed and the mm-hmm. identity with that. Talked with Thomas a little bit about that too, of, of not being quote unquote black enough because yeah. he plays hockey and he swims. Yeah. Um, but Which the, props to him. I hated swim. Yeah. I, I don't like to swim either. I'm <laughs> only half black. Swimming is just not that fun. And I don't even have like hair to wear. Like it that. just wasn't fun. Yeah. It, was, it wasn't that great. Um, now I don't know what I'm talking about. Um, no, but that that identity issue of because if the way what I'm hearing from you and what type of Thomas and what I'm seeing now is like the reason why it would bother me to not be black enough or to be called an Oreo and say because it's like if you're black, obviously I don't fit in. Like if your white friend calls you black, obviously I don't fit in with you. Yeah. Like we know that we mm-hmm. know that I'm not white like you. But now you're going to tell me that I don't fit in with black people either. You're stripping me of my identity. So you're, yeah. So like, mm-hmm. where do I fit? Like, where yeah. do I belong? And, yeah. and that sense of belonging is, I think, again, it's hard for everyone, I think. And I think as a black person, you can find some belonging in the black community. Mm-hmm. But when you are, quote unquote, an Oreo or not black enough or a Carlton, yeah. then you're seen as, uh, you don't even fit in, in the black community either. Right. So where do I fit in then? Yeah. I think too, like... Um, my mom growing up biracial in Mississippi in the sixties, her whole thing was, I knew I didn't fit in with the white community and I for sure didn't fit in with the black community. Just like in the Miles McPherson book, she was called high yeller, which was a term of like, you just have yellow skin. Like you're different, you're mixed, whatever. So hearing that as a kid and then now thinking back on it as an adult, it's like, I do understand the the how do I say that like the severity of that statement because you're telling me I can't fit in anywhere yeah so then where do I fit in I know that I'm more than just the color of my skin but that is a big part of who I am but when you tell me you're not black enough or you're an oreo then where am I supposed to go yeah 
Do I just hang out over here in an island by myself? Yeah. What box am I supposed to check now? Because yeah. I obviously don't fit in with you because I'm an Oreo as a white person, but now I don't fit in with the black community because I'm not black enough. Yeah. And I always hate it, when, especially when white people said it, because it was like, oh. who are you to define my blackness anyways? <laughs> um, but you brought up you brought up your mom being biracial growing up in the South. Uh, we've had conversations. Your parents have, have been through a lot. They've yeah. seen some stuff. We've talked about, the two of us have talked about the importance of someone's story and their mm-hmm. perspective. Um, and your parents, talk a little bit about your parents yeah. and how they've shaped you, the way you see race, For the way sure. you see your identity. And one thing you mentioned in a conversation we had the other day was that your parents told you now that they recently told you that they intentionally sheltered you from things. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. What what influence did your parents have? Um, So my dad grew up in Tampa, Florida. He was born in 1942. And my mom was born in 1960. Yes, they have a huge age gap. It's kind of a big joke in our family. So... (laughs) Um, on my dad's side, he lived through the civil rights movement in Florida. So he lived through crosses burning on people's lawns, having to use the quote unquote colored drinking fountain, sitting on the back of the bus, walking everywhere he went. So he didn't have to, um, be told he's not enough on a bus or anything like that. Um, so that's where he comes from. And then my mom, like I just talked about, she's biracial from the South and through their experiences, I know that they moved up here for a better chance for their kids. So I'm one of four. Um, There's two boys and two girls. And for us growing up, it was, A, you don't get to play the race card. If you do, you better be right about it because you can't take that back once you call somebody a racist. B, it's up to you if you want to live up to the stereotypes that are before you. And if you do that, you're the only person to blame. It's no one else's fault. And see, there are good people in the world. Whether you see them or not, don't throw the baby out with the bathwater just because you meet one bad person. So I know for me growing up, um, a lot of it was, Kanisha, why do you feel like you weren't invited to that birthday party? Oh, I just because Elizabeth and I aren't friends. Okay. And they never, I shouldn't say never, but as I got older, they were more open about the potential for racism. And I remember having a conversation at the dinner table about what the N-word was. But as a younger kid, a lot of it was just, they're good people out here. Like, don't worry about it. Um, if it really, you know, if someone's comment at school really, really hurt you, think about it and like let us know and, and we'll take the necessary steps to talk to your teacher or if we need to talk to the principal, we will. So growing up, they taught me to see every person as they are. We weren't colorblind. It was more of like, hey, I see you playing with all of your white friends. Like, do you, what about that girl that's in your class? Like, do you talk to her? Oh, I don't know. I've just never talked to her. Well, maybe just talk to her. Because their whole point was every person is a, is a human being and no one should feel excluded. So that was their whole thing as a kid, if that makes any sense. Of like, yeah. you, you include everybody. You don't just write Valentine's Day cards for your friends. You do it for your whole class. You do it for the whole grade. We're not excluding people. As I got older, older, um, a lot of it was, you know, we're looking at this house where we've put in an offer. It's not on the market anymore. We're not going to tell you why it's not on the market because that's just going to damage you for the future. You got pulled over today. How was the interaction? You got your fine reduced. Okay, great. You were caught after curfew at the school. What was that like? No, it's not because you're black. It's because you chose to be at the school parking lot at one in the morning. 
when we've told you not to do that. Yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, or like, um, you don't get to call people a racist. So, um, they sheltered me a lot because I hope I'm making sense was because they didn't want me to grow up with a complex. And I know one of my siblings for sure did. And I mean, anybody, if you looked at this sibling wrong, you were a racist. And my dad yeah. was always like, I didn't raise an idiot. <laughs> Last time I checked, you were the person who chose to be in the position that you were in when you were in it. Yeah. It had nothing to do with anybody else. So you better be sure that somebody is a racist before you call them one. Um, and that's, I mean, to this day, I mean, my sibling, like, we'll have conversations because we're all biracial. And we'll have conversations of, like, do you remember when this happened as a kid? Or, like, no, I was too young for that. Okay, well, this is the story. We had a racist neighbor. They came knocking on the door. They wanted us out. Like, that kind of thing. Yeah. And I was just more concerned with if unicorns were real, you know? <laughs> like, my siblings were dealing with real-life things and... Did um, you find out that answer, by the way, if they are? Oh, they're not real, unfortunately. Oh, okay. I know. I know. Um, but their biggest thing was they saw how their childhood was and it kind of shaped their adulthood and they didn't want the same for us. Yeah. So I remember one time trying to play the race card and I think I got ripped a new one. It was like, <laughs> I thought I was going to die. My funeral was going to be the next day. They're like... <laughs> We did not raise you to act this way, to think this way, to talk this way. You better be really careful yeah. because now you've labeled this family as racist. Yeah. Do you know what that looks like for them? Yeah. Well, Ask yeah. yourself, you know? Oh, I think that's great. I think the way that they, because they went through some stuff and they, it shaped who they were, mm -hmm. but in the best way possible. Like right. we're going to make sure that our kids don't have to go through what we went through, mm -hmm. that they have a better life and they, they kind of. Not more, not a lot of people actually learn from their past and do yeah. something about it, you know. Um, so I think that's great. If you are comfortable sharing the story about what your parents experienced at our church yep. recently, tell the full story, right? So we we know what happened and how mm -hmm. it kind of resolved. But I think I think it's an interesting story. I think it's a good one. I think not just what happened, but mm -hmm. kind of the resolution and what yeah. happened because of it. Yeah, they were recently in a service. And someone was talking about systemic racism and the question was um, asked, does it exist? And if it does, what do we do about it? And the response was, it doesn't exist. I don't believe systemic racism is even a thing. I think it's just a made up word. Um, and unfortunately, minorities tend to look for charity. Now, my dad has never asked for anything a day in his life. He is a very prideful man. Love him to death, but he's very prideful. And my dad, being 78 years old, having lived through the civil rights movement in Florida, then joining the Vietnam, or joining the military during Vietnam so that he could be deployed and he could die so he didn't have to deal with racism anymore. And then my mom, being who she is, they were both like, Oh no, <laughs> it does exist there. It does exist. And so, um, they just sat, they finished the conversation or whatever it was. And they took a break from living word for a while or from our church for a while. People will know where Oops, it's that's fine. True. We both work. There too, so, it's not a secret. so they took a break from the ministry and, um, some of the upper leadership decided to put together a meeting with this individual, my parents, and then a couple other um, families of color as well, 
to have a, a listening session where they invited my family, my parents, and then four other families, and they just talked. Everybody shared um, their history, their life story, and and why it's important to hear other people around you before making statements like that. Because even if you have not experienced it, it doesn't mean it doesn't exist. And I know yeah. for myself, like in conversations with Thomas, for example, he's experienced a lot more than I ever have. And so for me, it's because I haven't experienced systemic racism to the extent of my neighbor doesn't mean that it exists. I can just say I haven't experienced that, but that doesn't negate your story. Yeah. So through the listening session, back to the point, they were able to really heal and they heard everyone's side of the story. And it was just the person who made the comment said it was never my intention to hurt you. Yeah. I just didn't know. And so I know that each party in that room has a lot more respect for the other person because they took the time to A, set up the meeting and B, be there intentionally the entire time. Yeah. And it was like, we're not going to leave until this is resolved. Yeah. So where do we go from here? Kind and of I, I give credit where credit's due. Like, I think that's a good thing. Like, I think a lot of the problems, especially like now, I feel like it's, it's getting harder and harder for, I'll generalize white people from the suburbs to to accept that maybe they were wrong about some things Mm -hmm. or like you can't, you can't ignore, especially when George Floyd happened here in the twin cities, like you can't Mm -hmm. ignore potential problems, right? That could be right. right? Like you could, you can argue about to what extent does systemic racism exist or to what extent are black people mistreated in this country, but you can't completely ignore it anymore. And so for people to actually admit Mm -hmm. that, Maybe I was wrong about something. Maybe I didn't understand the full story. Yeah. There has to be room for that because what happens is you say something, let's say they say something, a white person says something, people want to label them a racist and now they can't. It's like, well, maybe I maybe I just didn't know or maybe right. maybe back then I did have some things that, mm-hmm. that weren't. We don't leave room made. for you to change yeah. your mind and to even admit, I'm sorry that I was wrong. Yeah. Like that's a big deal that, that he would t- admit that yeah. maybe I can learn something from mm-hmm. people and- and who you are and these people matter more than right. whatever my thoughts and political opinions are. Exactly. Like and that the was the, the whole day, point the matter more. of just of being empathetic enough to say, you know what, what, no matter what side we're on, on the spectrum, you do matter and your story does matter. So I apologize for negating that and taking your voice away by standing up and saying it does not exist. Yeah. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about you're on the diversity committee with me Yo. at Living Word. They just they give, again give give our church credit. We both work at Living Word. You uh, we both work. Sorry, <laughs> you just get you just get more black now that we're talking about diversity. The committee. Diversity committee. She's at a time. You. <laughs> She's ready. Um, but again, giving giving our church our our employer credit. Yeah. Let's have this diversity committee. Mm-hmm. Um, we're on this together. We, before we joined, we both talked to each other, whether we yeah. wanted to do it or not. Um, how has that diversity committee gone for you? Don't like name names or don't like mad <laughs> anything, but like, do you think that that's a good direction? Do you think it's yeah. been helpful for you? Do you think it will be helpful for mm-hmm. the staff congregation, ultimately the community? For sure. I think the important thing is one of the leadership said, like, this isn't an initiative, to just take to say that we're doing something to be better. 
But think about it in the future sense of we want to make sure Living Word is a hospital and it's empathetic and it's sympathetic and it's open to hearing other people. So that's the lens that I view the diversity committee in. I mean, we could talk all day about the first round and how that was amazing, but progress over perfection for sure. I think with this one, I'm hopeful that with the committee, the people that are on it, we are all under the understanding that we want to make the future better. And we are the youngest on the committee. And so the way I think about it is I want to make sure that that my kids are comfortable enough going into church. And I want them to know if something happens, I know that somebody has my back. Versus, oh, sorry, Susie, can't help you, you know? So I do look forward to that. And I think this is something, because times have changed. I don't think, I mean, my dad was even saying it to my husband and I of like, you young people aren't going to stand for what I've had to stand for. Yeah. You guys are done. Like this younger generation, you guys are fed up with the stories. You're fed up with the fact that it's still happening. And that's how I view the diversity committee. It's like, we're done. This, yeah. It's been going on for far too long. If we want to actually be the church, we have to step up and do something. And I feel like this is the first step. Because it doesn't just affect us as staff. It affects our families. It affects the congregation. It yeah. affects the future congregation. Yeah. That kind of answers your question. No, that was good. Um <laughs> You mentioned your husband and, and <laughs> Iowa potentially <Farm> future kids, <laughs> but I do want to talk about, uh, you married a white guy. I sure did. From Iowa. <laughs> real white guy. Um, can you talk a little bit about, I don't know if there was any reservation about yeah. dating a white guy, if you always thought you were going to end up marrying a white guy. I mean, my family wasn't surprised. <laughs> <laughs> I know. So like, uh, that's a really good question actually, because Landon has even admitted um, we're friends Was he with... planning on marrying a black woman no. in Iowa? I don't know how. No, that's a good question. So, like, we were... <laughs> how did I find him? He was up here as an intern. And thanks to Savon, actually, they were roommates. That's how... Yes. Oh, wow. Um, but I know for him, he was even... Like, we were talking about it. And just like you guys, we've had more conversations about race since um, George Floyd. And he was like, I actually had reservations about dating you because... I never had to think about it in Iowa. If yeah. you had an African American kid, typically they were adopted. Yeah. Or I think that's really what it was, especially in Iowa in yeah. like a really, really small town. And you never had to think much past, oh, I wonder what so and so story is. It just was like, hey man, welcome to science. Like, I guess we're chem partners. Yeah. You know? And so for me, I was like, oh, that's completely opposite of my life. Like my parents would have been surprised not in a bad way. I mean, I know my mom's side of the family was like, we weren't even shocked when we got the save the date and his picture was on there. We were like, yes, it's complete. We knew it. And so I, for me, it wasn't a question. I also grew up in the suburbs surrounded by white people. So it's probably just my, my upbringing of like, the percentages, one black person. And it's like, we, we don't know each other. I'm not offended that you don't yeah. like me. You're not offended. Rashad, well, I don't even know We've joked are. about Living Word before being... Yeah. There was... Basically, there was three black guys about yep. your age, and there was one black girl. Yeah. yeah. So, like, <laughs> so it's like, let's just not, not make this awkward. All of them, every single one of them ended up marrying a white person. That's true. Just... So there's like like a group of us, you know? Um, 
So it's just, it's interesting since this whole George Floyd thing happened because we have had more conversations about it. And Landon was like, I didn't have anything against you. Yeah. I just didn't know what my family would think because we've never had to think about it. Yeah. He has a racist family member that I don't think I've ever met. And that's just their protection of me of like, we don't want him to say anything to yeah. you that makes you think this is how our whole family yeah. Thanks. And if anything, they've been super open and very welcoming. Yeah. And so you've been down to the farm. I've been, yeah, I've been down to the you. farm. Thank <laughs> God he wants nothing to do with it. I don't know how to work anything. Um, they've definitely welcomed me with open arms. And my mother-in-law is actually very protective. And I know on Facebook, I'm not an arguer at all. Like yeah. confrontation, it's not my strong <laughs> suit. But my mother-in-law will say things like, just so you know, I have a black daughter-in-law and I love her like I birthed her myself <laughs> and I'm like that's awesome thanks yeah. you know and so it's been so great because though Landon was fearful of how his family would respond they've been nothing but supportive yeah and if we needed them to they would fight someone for us yeah. like we wouldn't have to lift a finger like that's how their family yeah. is good that's and what family should be that's how family should yeah. be I don't know if I answered your question <laughs> <laughs> no no that's that's you did you also brought up the mixed children coming to church in the future yeah uh not saying you gotta have any time soon can't bring my dogs <laughs> no they're not, they're not allowed <laughs> in the building um unless they're service dogs you could i would definitely disguise bernard as a service dog easily is that the hyper one or no? no that's the calm one okay that one I was that would not happen um have you had thoughts, conversations mm-hmm. with Landon yet about yeah. potentially having mixed kids down the road? Yeah, and like what it looks like. What that would look like and obviously yeah. probably different than what when you grew up mm-hmm. or when I grew up. But like, have you had conversations about that? Yeah, I know the biggest question is like, because I mean, you're never going to have the answer and that's kind of where I've arrived and it's been how are we going to raise our kids yeah so what happens if they're in school and somebody does call them the n-word yeah how do we approach that conversation I hated that conversation <laughs> as a kid I just remember saying like yeah I know what it means I don't want to talk about it anymore yeah. <laughs> like it just was uncomfortable again the no confrontation yeah, yeah. I absolutely I just was like I just really want to watch American Idol like can we not talk about what the n-word means and so that is the question of I, I know for a fact, I should say I'm confident that uh, that the life that our children will lead will be better than ours because I do think that we are making active and progressive steps to make sure that it is. Um, but it still raises a question of how are we going to navigate that? Do we want to be in a more diverse location so that our kids have friends of all different shapes and colors and sizes and all that kind of stuff? Or do we want to stay because we, we live out in the country? So it's like, yo it's just me you know (laughs) so it is i don't know what that's gonna look like what do we want do we want to make race a like a heavy topic in the home or do we want to keep it lighthearted but with serious mixed in there because i know for me and it's probably to an extent maybe unhealthy but i'm super thankful my parents raised me the way that they did because race is honestly the last thing that i think about yeah in the sense of like if i have a problem with someone i'm like well I probably could have answered that email a little bit nicer. Yeah. It has nothing to do with my, with my, with the color of my skin. Instead, it was I knew in that moment I could not be Jesus, and I just continued to just go with whatever I wanted to say. Yeah. So to answer your question, I don't know how we're going to raise our kids or what that's going to be like, but I'm confident in what we've learned to as of today. 
what my parents have gone through, what his family is now navigating, that we can at least do it better. Yeah. Not that my parents did a terrible job, but... No, but I think they would me. want you to. Yeah, I it's think like they would say, what they yeah, teach you, could... you is your foundation. Yep. So you are expected to go higher. Yeah, absolutely. And that's how generations should be. So I am ex- I'm confident that it will be better than my upbringing because I have a foundation to stand on that yeah. got me to where I am today. Awesome. I want. I do want to say, first of all, thank you for coming on this. Thank you for... I appreciate your input in the diversity committee, not just because... <laughs> We have fun because we have fun together. um, And I think it's fun. But also, when we did talk about you doing the diversity committee, Mm -hmm. and I've had conversations with you before about, like, I don't know what to say. Like, what is is my input? Like, what what impact do I have? Like, I'm not, you know, Ryan Watkins was raised in South Minneapolis, Mm -hmm. right? He had a brother fall victim to to violence. Like, so it's like, oh, you think of that as, oh, he's got a story to tell. Even like your parents. Yeah, he grew up, my dad grew yeah. up in, in the South and through the civil rights movement. So he's got a story to tell. And it's kind of like, I'm from the suburbs. I had a pretty decent life. My parents, yeah. you know, both parents raised mm-hmm. me well in the church. You know, I went to art school, yeah. which you like to remind us about. <laughs> um, but you lived, you lived a pretty good life. But I, but I think it's important. Your perspective is important. And I do think that you're um, someone who has a very a balanced understanding for this kind of stuff. Cause I think especially in, well, in divisive conversations and potentially divisive conversations, whether yeah. it's about race or politics or religion or whatever, there's very few level heads, right? There's a lot of people over here and a lot of people over mm-hmm. here. And so I appreciate that, uh, your perspective again on this podcast in the diversity committee, just in the conversations we've had as friends. Um, is there anything else that you want to add? We want to say before yeah, we sure. kind of wrap this up. Um, kind of final thoughts on this yeah. and then I'll let you go back to whatever amazing plans you have. <laughs> Taking care of my two dogs. <laughs> um, the biggest thing that I've learned in this whole thing and learning never stops, first of all, yeah. is how important it is to hear someone and it's not just through your opinion, but it's actually through your heart. Because to your point, like Ryan is a perfect example because my whole thing of the diversity committee was I grew up in Stillwater. I had a great life. I had a two-parent household. I never lacked in anything. I never had to see anything that was really detrimental, um, potentially detrimental. So I don't have anything to say. But what I've learned is just because you might not have experienced the same thing doesn't negate the fact that you have a voice. And yeah. now is the time more than ever to raise your voice. I know I'm not going to say the right thing. You might not say the right thing, but it's the point of at least coming together to hear each other yeah because we're so quick unfortunately in my opinion to change someone's mind yeah versus and like jocelyn was saying this earlier why do you feel that way okay so even if we can't meet your middle ground what is one thing you wished about yourself that everybody knew yeah so now that i know this one piece of information how do you want to be treated because i know for me my whole life story has been like, don't treat me like I'm black. Just yeah. treat me like I'm a human being. Yeah. Because you are too. You're, we're so, we often look at someone just as this one thing. Yeah. And I know for Landon, it's been like, oh, you're married to a black girl? Oh, street cred. Mad yeah. props. Oh, yeah. And he's like, I think my wife would be just humiliated that you said <laughs> that about her. Because yeah. in her mind, she's not just black she's not just a woman but she is smart she's intelligent she's organized she's loyal all these different things and so my point is be quick to hear 
not so quick to speak, but also be even faster to see someone beyond what you, what you see on the surface because there is more to that. And be confident in the fact or that you do have a voice. Whether you say yeah. something right or wrong, you do have a voice. Yeah. And times are a-changing. As my dad says, times are a-changing, kiddo. <laughs> but times are changing. And now more than ever, I mean, I think someone was saying this too, like, for all the moms or, or parents of women, they are now raising the strongest generation of women ever. Yeah. And the same thing has been said about men. So I'm the way I think about it is like through you hearing somebody and seeing them for more than what you see on the surface, you're empowering them to empower the next person and everything after that. Yeah. Those are my two steps. <laughs> Fantastic. That was good. That was a good place to end because that's a good mic drop moment. Don't actually Boom. drop my mic because I can't afford a new one if it breaks. <laughs> But thank you, Kanisha, for joining me. Thank you for your friendship. I appreciate it. Thank you for those that are listening. Join me next Monday. I'm going to talk about race and politics. Should be interesting. Should get some people mad at me, but something I want to talk about. So join me next Monday for episode 15 of Mix in America. Mix in America.